Welcome to episode two of The Fanatical Futurist. In this episode, we're going to cover the future of misinformation and disinformation, deep fakes, and the latest nanotechnologies being used to treat and identify deadly diseases. Matt, it's good to see you again, buddy. Oh, well, likewise. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I hear you've been off saving the world. Well, actually, almost isn't in as many words. So uh, on Monday, I was in Dubai. So uh, I was up at Expo 2020 with the Dubai government. So they wanted me to tell them how we build resilience in a post-COVID society, which I know a lot of key, keynote speakers are doing at the moment and everything else. So we yeah, do that. That's quite but trendy. Also, yeah, but also, how do you reduce the impact of future pandemics and then stop it? When it comes to the polarization of information and how we get it, is there any technology being developed at the moment to combat this? Yeah, so... You, you're always going to end up in this game of cat and mouse where, you know, as we as we saw with the traditional Cold War, you create a weapon, I create a defence to that weapon, I create a better weapon, you create a better defence and so on and so mm. forth. Now, when we actually have a look at different authoritarian regimes trying to turn democracies and different societies and civilizations against one another but via the clever use of misinformation, disinformation, information warfare, psychological operations or psyops and so on and so forth. There are a couple of solutions. Firstly, you've got to realize that there are two ways that we create information that can be misused or used in a weaponized way. So the first way that we create information is we get a person to create that information. And then that information is simply disseminated via troll networks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The second way that we can create information is we can use artificial intelligences to create synthetic content. So for example, most people should now be familiar with the fact that organizations like the Wall Street Journal have been using artificial intelligence robo-journalists to cover, for example, some of the latest Olympics and write the news. What? Yeah, so we see this with artificial intelligences like OpenAI's GPT-3 that is increasingly good at writing lifelike articles. Now, as we accelerate through deep fakes, synthetic content and everything else, these artificial intelligences, as well as artificial intelligence-based content creation tools, are getting increasingly powerful, so much so to the point that in the next couple of years, these things will be able to create authentic looking videos. So for example, I would just talk to the computer and say, computer, get Barack Obama or get President Joe Biden or President Trump, if he gets in again, to say, I'm going to move the United States 7th Pacific Fleet off the coast of North Korea, turn that in, create that from mm. scratch, create it in video format and then punch it out to the social networks. Didn't they already do something similar, like a deep fake with Obama? Didn't they already happen? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, um, I was having a conversation actually with uh, a couple of guys yesterday because they actually want to they want to recreate that kind of deep fake for an event. That's it, to mm. try to uh, show people in the financial services industry just what's happening. Yeah, so this is kind of where we talk about the future of trust uh, and so on and so forth. So we sort of get into all these 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 protracted conversations. Now, about three years ago, Twitter announced that they'd reached something called the inflection point. The inflection point is a point in time where there are more bots 
on Twitter generating information than humans. Really? Twitter, so Jack Dorsey, went on record with the SEC, basically, and said 51% of the information is now generated by bots. You spot it because increasingly we're using artificial intelligence and machine learning to identify how particular sentences are put together, the words that are actually used. So, for example, when you actually have a look at disinformation campaigns, they will always generally use similar words like, you know, distrust, horrible, awful, shocking, you know, it's that sort of stuff. So disinformation and misinformation campaigns, irrespective of who they're actually created by, whether it's for the coronavirus vaccines or whether it's for authoritarian states, generally have keywords in common. And then you can look for those keywords and those patterns and just sort of see if they repeat. But inevitably, that's kind of like a cat and mouse game because we are increasingly able to use artificial intelligence to figure out that that account is a bot account. And then we take steps to close it down and all that sort of stuff. But then another one pops up. So if we want to solve the misinformation and disinformation campaigns, you're never really going to solve it. But there are a couple of things that we can actually do. So firstly, we can use new types of computer chips and embed those computer chips into future smartphones. And these computer chips contain neural network watermarks, which means that if I'm a CNN journalist and I'm taking a video of, say, for example, the war in uh, Ukraine, that watermark is automatically inserted into the photos and the videos that I take, which then means you start putting these assets onto the blockchain, which then means I can authenticate that information Mm. as being real and not having been manipulated. When we try to sort of find ways to counter misinformation and disinformation campaigns, increasingly it's a technology play, but it's a cat and mouse game. We'll find a way to solve it, like deep fakes. When you have a look at, say, for example, the video of Nancy Pelosi, that wasn't fake. You know, so this is the one where she looked drunk. Artificial intelligence recognition systems actually said, well, that's not fake. So from an American Uh, sort of perspective, you're looking at that and thinking, well, she's obviously drunk, you know, and the system is saying that it's real. But what the people who created that actually did is they just slowed the video down. (laughs) And you do that with anyone and you're going to look slightly. Yeah. Yeah. If you listen to a podcast on half speed, (laughs) same thing. Yeah, exactly. That's it. So this is sort of where this is. So this is where you kind of get into this weirdness of you can use low tech tools like slowing down the video of Nancy Pelosi to make her look drunk, which an artificial intelligence will go, hey, that's genuine, that's real. And you go, oh my God, you know, why is she drunk at the lectern or wherever she was? But when we actually have a look at actual deep faked images, we have organizations like, you know, MIT, Harvard, we've got Caltech, Carnegie Mellon, all those kinds of guys, Mm. as well as sort of, you know, commercial companies as well. We can increasingly tell what content is deep faked Because when people talk to camera, like I am a little bit now, your skin flushes naturally. So we can see basically that the blood is flowing through your face. In addition to that, basically the way that your mouth moves, we can tell that that's authentic and everything else. The way that your eyes move and so on and so forth. The relationship of your head to your body, for example. Enough, they're not perfectly aligned and all that kind of stuff. We can look Mm. at it at the pixel level because we can figure out that those pixels weren't really supposed to be there. Therefore, that's, you know, been manipulated a little bit like some of the forensic tools that we actually use to figure out, you know, when things have been photoshopped and everything else. 
So what we can do is we have a variety of different tools within our arsenal that let us figure out whether or not different types of content are real or not real. Mm. However, I always generally argue that when you actually have a look at the way that serious organized crime groups operate, let alone state-sponsored crime groups and state-sponsored actors, they are incredibly innovative. So what will normally happen now is you'll have an organization like Meta who will get smashed around the head by the US Senate. And the US Senate will say, right, you have to stop disinformation and misinformation campaigns on your platform. Same with Twitter, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And what Facebook will do is Facebook will invest a huge sum of money in artificial intelligence-based detection tools because it's the only way that they can actually scale this stuff up. So what then happens is this, you know, Facebook gets really good at catching disinformation campaigns. Same with YouTube. I mean, I've got a future of healthcare talk that I did for Willis Towers Watson a little while ago, and YouTube keeps flagging it up as fake coronavirus information. That's it, which it isn't. But what I did is I did what most serious organized criminals would do is if I can't get my fake information onto Facebook or YouTube, I go and shove it on on Vimeo. I go and shove it on a Korean social network app. I go and shove it on TikTok or something else. Mm. So I still get as a criminal or as a state-sponsored actor, okay, it's much harder for me to get deep fake based disinformation publicized on Facebook. So I go and use another network as my main way to do it, you know, Parler or wherever, you know, these other ones that we have. However, the fact remains that if I'm able to create a piece of fake content that takes a little while for these systems to catch, you know, as Facebook says, you know, by the time they detect some of this fake information, yeah, even though they might detect it within five minutes, it will have been shared and disseminated hundreds of thousands, millions of times. And Winston Churchill, back in the 40s, basically said, lies always travel faster than the truth. Mm. And if I have a five-minute head start on Facebook and I've got the troll factories ready willing and able to distribute my content at scale as soon as it hits the platforms. Yeah. I can have it in front of the eyeballs of hundreds of thousands of people. And by the time Facebook flags it as fake and takes it down, over 100,000 people have seen whatever the piece of information that I wanted them to see. And it's stuck in their head. You know, it's kind of that thing. You can't unsee it. Mm. It's just created that doubt. Yeah, which then, which then means that what we really need to quash disinformation and misinformation is a system that pre-checks that information mm. before it is actually uploaded to the platform, which now means you've got a sense, you've got a sensor bottleneck. Because if I say post a advert like piece of content saying uh, the coronavirus vaccine basically is fake, it's going to kill you, you know, it's made by the US military and whatever it happens to be. If that was checked before I put it onto the platform and I couldn't put it onto the platform at all, no one sees it. But the way that Facebook and all these social media networks operate is I can create a piece of crud. I can shove it onto the network and then it takes the network a number of minutes or maybe never to actually figure out that it's not correct or it shouldn't be there or shouldn't have been uploaded and everything else. 
one of the answers to how do we solve misinformation and disinformation and you you can never get rid of all of it because mm. my truth might be ver- different to your version of the truth yeah 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 um i don't have to say that the coronavirus vaccine basically will kill everybody i could just go it's really bad for you you know that kind of stuff there's lots yeah. of different ways basically that i can spin my yeah, message exactly. this is where and this is where a lot of the 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 state sponsored troll farms are really good because what they won't do is they won't say guns are good. They will go, isn't it great how guns basically have saved so many lives? Mm. Yeah. So we have the, I always say that information, yeah, disinformation lives in the gray. There's lots and lots of different ways that we can put things over to general society to then change their opinion, change their belief system, change their value system little by little by little yeah it's a process isn't it you just create that doubt give them a little bit of inf- information and then just like drip feed it into them well this is it and this mm. is sort of where when you actually have a look at a lot of the disinformation and misinformation campaigns that are generally being run they come straight out of things like the cia psyops playbooks that's it which actually if you've never ever read go and have a read i say it's freaky but I mean, these playbooks, you know, a lot of these PSYOPs playbooks go back to like, you know, the 1900s and all that sort of stuff. First World War, Second World War. But those playbooks are now just being put on steroids. Well, technology around treating misinformation, disinformation is advancing rapidly, as we can see. Medically, the war on common diseases and illnesses is also moving at an exponential rate as well, isn't it? When you have a look at nanobots and nanotechnology, we have created nanobots that are able to identify cancerous cells by different biomarkers and then drill into them and kill them. We've got a a robot that's able to go inside your body. And if you have an internal tear, say, for example, in your lower intestine, it will use a 3D bioprinter to 3D bioprint human tissue at that damaged site so that you don't actually need surgery. And these things basically have actually not only been tried, they've been tested and they've been they've been shown to work. I mean, even down to the point of using things like nanoparticles. So for example, anyone who has a metastasizing cancer will know yeah, a metastasizing cancer will spread throughout your body. And one of the problems that doctors have trying to figure out where it's gone is it's very difficult to pick up some of these individual cells. So we have other innovations like nanoparticles that are able to track where all these metastasizing, should we say, cancerous cells have actually gone. We've got wearable technologies that are increasingly able to create the quantified self that can tell you that you are getting sick weeks before you actually get sick. Yeah, And these wearables basically can detect that your voice is changing, that your core body temperature is increased slightly, that you are... Generally, you know, you're you're sweating more than you should and all this kind of stuff. Mm. They can detect biochemicals, basically, in your sweat. Increasingly, they can detect and analyze, basically, your biochemistry. And then they can phone the doctor up for you. So they say, you know, uh, we think that you're getting ill because, you know, we can tell from vocal biomarkers that you're sounding a bit gravelly. And now, basically, they suddenly phone up the doctor for you and the doctor prescribes something and off we go. We've got 3D printed medicines coming through as well. So when we have a look at the future of, ph- of hospital pharmacies, you know, we can just 3D print the medicine actually at the pharmacy. That eliminates supply chains. We've got personalized medicines coming through because as our ability to 3D print different medicines improves, we can 3D print them in all manner of different ways and they can be personalized to you. When we have a look at things like the o- opioid crisis, 
we have different organizations over in the United States that are developing digital replicas of people, so digital clones of people, because I don't know how tolerant you will be to this particular level of opioid uh, medication. And I could give it to you and I could kill you. And as a professional doctor, I've got to try and figure out, you know, what's the right dose for you. So one of the things that we're one of the multiple things we're seeing in the US, for example, is the creation of digital clones. They're like digital twins of people. And we trial this opioid in digital form on your digital twin. And if it kills you, then we just ratchet down the dose until we get the dose right. And then we give you that dose. We're seeing the growth of what we call humans on chips. So if I want to test a new drug, a new vaccine, I can either test it on loads and loads of real people, or I can use what we call labs on chips. Now, these labs on chips sort of have human biological components within them. And I can stack these chips up like Lego to create a human, literally from a biological functioning perspective. And then I can try those vaccines and those different treatments on biological cells from you to see how you will react. And these humans on chips cost like a dollar, you know, so that's another way to speed up things like vaccine development and drug treatment and all that kind of stuff. You know, as I say, you know, when we actually have a look at the future of healthcare as a space, it's just insane what's actually going on. And a a lot of this is starting to get to the point where you can walk into a hospital and get this stuff. Well, let's move on now. Let's have a look at the news of the week. What's the big news for the future that's here today? So we've got a, so this week, we've got a couple of different things. Now you can actually have a look at my blog, so fanaticalfuturist.com, and you'll sort of see all these there. So the first one basically is uh, JP Morgan has opened the world's first bank branch in the metaverse. Now, a lot of people will look at that and think that's actually a little bit gimmicky. And on the one hand, it is. But JP Morgan are increasingly realizing that as more people buy digital art as NFTs, as more people buy digital assets, you know, in whatever form that takes, as more people buy digital real estate in the metaverse, that people in the future might actually want to borrow money to fund the purchase of digital assets. So when you have a look at JP Morgan moving into the metaverse, what they're really trying to do is actually stake their claim as one of the world's first premium lenders for people who want to buy digital assets. Yeah, like NFTs and so on and so forth. Right. We've got another piece. Basically, we've got uh, some Chinese researchers who've now managed to create one of the world's smallest transistors. It's about 0.3 nanometers wide. Uh, It's a carbon atom wide. But, you know, as many people might sort of think, well, a a transistor that's 0.3 nanometers in size is fantastic. And wow, that's amazing. I can actually show you researchers who've actually created a transistor using quantum mechanics that is actually zero nanometers in size. It literally has no size. And if you're a quantum physicist, you'll know that that's correct. Everyone else will think that's impossible. Nothing, you, everything has a size. But uh, Well, so transistor, you mean, you're talking like a radio? No, not a radio. So computer chips. Oh, computer chips. Yeah, there computer chips. There you go. There you go. So it wouldn't have much base on it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. What's that? That'd be too tiny. That's it. Although we do actually have nano antennae made out of DNA that could turn you in the future into a radio receiver. 
different oh, conversation. God's maybe. Sake. Yeah, oh. that's that's next week or the week after sometime. It's another news. Basically, we've got the U.S. Department of Transport and and uh, USH you know, Highways Agency that have now approved the removal of humans from fully autonomous vehicles, which General Motors has been petitioning for, because in the future, why do you want to make a car that drives itself that's still got a steering wheel? You know, that kind of stuff. So the NHTSA have now approved companies like General Motors building cars that no longer have pedals and dashboards and steering wheels and all that and steering wheels and that sort of stuff. So that's future, very much future mobility there. Another sort of interesting thing I came across is Ukraine have been trying to fund the war effort uh, using NFTs, which then brings us to this philosophical debate. If I can help crowdfund a war using something like NFTs, then if that's kind of an asset, if war is kind of an asset class, if Ukraine or when Ukraine wins the war, if they capture loads of Russian tanks and then sell them, do I get part of the profit from those tanks. So NFTs allow you to do something called fractional ownership. And anyone in the financial services industry will sort of realize that, you know, we could have a million people trying to buy this, you know, buying a part of a house using NFTs. So the fact that Ukraine have actually started trying to fund their war effort using NFTs, do I get fractional ownership in the future of a Russian tank, for example? And then do I get a dividend when that tank gets sold, provided it's not been blown up? And then we've got, I suppose, this one. Uh, we've got researchers who've created a digital cell that grows like the real thing, which is increasingly useful, basically, in healthcare. So we talked mm. about digital twin humans. But if we have digital cells, then, again, we can try different treatments out on them um, and see if they work, see if they don't work. And if they don't work, then we can start creating treatments at digital speed. And there's yeah. another fun one. So one of the things, basically, we were sort of talking about doing, basically, was innovation of the week. Now, I've been looking for this for the past five years, and I actually just had this conversation with the guys basically over at uh, Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin. Scientists in the UK have now created a new kind of quantum sensor. Now, very few people know or care what a quantum sensor is. Guilty. A quantum sensor is a kind of sensor that is millions of times more sensitive than any sensor we have today. So anything that you find in your smartphone and all that kind of stuff. But what they managed to do is they managed to use this quantum sensor to remotely read and record the neuronal activity of people with Alzheimer's and dementia. Now, that on the one hand sounds interesting because what it means is it means that you can have one of these sensors in the room and you can you can read people's brain waves and then you can tell whether or not they've got dementia. You don't actually have to put them into things like a CAT scan. or Right. Things. It feels like an advancement. Yeah, exactly. That's right. However, as these sensors get better, as they scale up, as the technologies commercialize and mature and everything else, what they've actually just invented is a way for organizations to read your brain from across the room. Oh, no. So if you think of sort of minority report, you know, Tom Cruise is walking through the mall, basically he's being shown loads of different adverts. There is absolutely no reason why those adverts couldn't be based on things that he was thinking at the time. And then the artificial intelligence creates the advert on the fly and shows it on a big holographic LED. Oh, I feel like Instagram's almost there with some of the, some of the ads that pop up on my screen. They are onto my brainwaves. 
Yeah, they came up in the other. They came up the other day, basically in Dubai. That's it. And uh, one of the guys, basically, I think it was the vice president of Pinterest, basically said, uh, you know, everyone thinks basically that Instagram and Facebook can actually read your mind and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. he, said, he said they can't, but they are just really, really good at predicting your behaviours. Mm. However, with this tech. To finish on this note, Mark Zuckerberg hired the ex-director general from DARPA, a lady called Regina Duggan, to develop non-invasive brain reading technology, which actually she did. And that went into the mainstream press and news and all that kind of stuff, not the funny fake disinformation news networks that we see. And this is an extension of that. So Mark Zuckerberg originally, this is about sort of four years ago when they started, when Facebook started the program, said that they wanted to turn Facebook into the world's first telepathic social network. He'd like this technology. Oh my God. Then I, I was hoping you'd blow my mind at some point in this uh, interview and you have. <laughs> oh my God, that's crazy. So they're going to, so what? Facebook will be able to read your mind when? When does he, when does he think that's going to happen? So we kind of have the technology at a very, very basic level to read people's minds today. We do yeah. it with ALS patients. We do it with locked-in patients. We can read sentences. We can read images, you know, so, or, you know, I say read images. We don't really read an image, but we can read images and all that kind of stuff. And then we can take those communications, basically, and actually put them onto screens, basically, and, yeah. and as well as use artificial intelligence to verbalize them for the loved ones of ALS patients and everything else. So we already have that tech here, but in terms of actually it being deployed, most of these brain reading technologies, there's one that you can put in a tattoo, there's one that you can put in a transfer, so you stick this sort of kid sticker looking like thing on your neck, and it can read your emotions by reading your brain waves. Is there one that you can put into a vaccine? Uh, no, not yet, <laughs> although... Like with a conspiracy theorist, which is what maybe why YouTube actually banned one of my videos. Yeah. He was talking about this on there. COVID-19 conspiracy theorists go, don't take the COVID-19 vaccine because people like Bill Gates and the US government are trying to put a chip in you. And so naturally, the US military under the guise of DARPA uh, ended up putting a chip in a sensor that you can put into people's bodies. Now, the reason for this was because one of the biggest problems the US, the US Navy had was they had this warship, forget the name, but they had a warship where over a thousand people on the warship got COVID. They didn't know people were getting it. They didn't know who had it. So the US military under a DARPA program developed this chip that you can insert under your skin. And it gathers together different biodata and biomarkers and everything else. And the, I think it was the Admiral getting the rank right, uh, the Admiral said, this is essentially the equivalent of an engine check light for sailors. That's it, because we can read those chips and it will say, you're fine, you haven't got a deadly virus or you're not fine, you need to go and see a doctor. Mm. So they said it was like an engine warning light, basically, for, you know, for the sailors. But of course, I'm quite surprised that none of the conspiracy theorists actually picked up on the fact that that, that actually exists. Wow. Uh, because you could always just put them I in, you could put it into a vaccine, but you'd need a really big needle. And I think most people would actually wonder basically why they're being injected with something the size of a horse needle yeah. when uh, everyone else is being injected with just a regular, a regular needle. But then even when we talk about vaccines, just finishing this one off, when we look at the next pandemic, we've already developed contagious vaccines, which the regulators will never approve, let's face it. So, yeah. uh, you know, if I end up with COVID-27, and I sneeze in your face. On the one hand, I've probably just given you COVID, but I've also just given you the vaccine as well. 
We put vaccines in gum, vaccines in pills. I can spray a vaccine in your face. We've got aerosol-based vaccines as well. Mm. So, yeah, as you'd imagine, basically, without throughout the COVID pandemic, everyone's been trying to figure out how do you deliver vaccines to as many people as quickly as possible. I must admit, I do occasionally get emails from people saying, I've read about brain reading uh, technology, especially on your website, and I've actually sort of seen the research and everything else. I think the US government have been reading my brain now for years. Um, who do I sue? And I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, as much as you sort of kind of want to go, yeah, you're nuts. I suppose, especially if anyone's thinking of even emailing me that question, I have no idea. That's it, go and find your Talk to your lawyer. Yeah, that's it. There we go. There we go. Well, we might we might touch on that in the next episode. Matt Griffin, thank you very much for your time, mate. Thank you, Andy. Cheers, everyone. Take it easy. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, just check out 311institute.com.